1: Yes, it is, and welcome back. Coming to you live from the Guns Etc. Studio. Being back, we are delighted to welcome back our regular Monday guest, Brandon J. Weikert, the author of Winning Space: How America Remains a Superpower, geopolitical analyst, publisher of the Weikert Report, regular columnist in the Washington Times, Real Clear Politics, Asia Times. You see him everywhere. People take serious things seriously. Brandon, how are you, sir?
2: Oh, I'm okay. How are you? I'm (laughs)
1: fine, and um, I want to get one quick thing out of the way, and then I want to spend some time on the Russia-Ukraine contretemps for a second, if I might. Yeah. if you're like me, you write something and if a week passes, you'll forget you ever wrote it. I, you may may not, not be like me. You may, may remember exactly what you wrote a week ago. But, you know, I used to say about you that if you want to know what's going to happen two months from now, talk to Brandon Weicker. And I saw about a week ago, exactly a week ago, you had a column on rethinking our, um, the rethinking the way we deal with North Korea. And I see in today's Washington Post a piece headlined with North Korea talk stalled. Some wonder, what if we tried something different? They're cu- catching up to you, Brandon. Now it's just yeah, a week. Now they're down to a week.
2: <laughs> yeah, I should really start charging more yeah. for these things, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, We can we can turn to the North Korea thing in a moment. I just I just I couldn't resist. I was just looking up some of what you've been working on. All right. (laughs) The the U.S., I am reading now, of course, everyone is, is moving its uh, embassy in uh, Ukraine uh, farther, um, farther west. I didn't realize that's all you needed to do, just have Russia say something, you can move your... My gosh, we could have put the embassy in Jerusalem a long time ago, if, uh, if that's all it took. What are we to make of all this, uh, Brandon?
2: Um, well, there's, a, as you know, a split in opinion on whether or not Putin means business. Um, personally, I think at this rate it doesn't really matter, because Putin has already affected at least 50% of his end goal. He has gotten American military and Western military observers out of the Donbass, which is a contested territory that Russian separatists, pro-Russian separatists, have been fighting over for the last seven years in eastern Ukraine. He's gotten the, the Western monitors out of there. He's getting the Americans to effectively abandon Kiev, the, the, the government there, the pro-American government there. Um, and he's doing all this without ever firing a shot.
1: You know what that's called? concessions he has gotten concessions from the united states
2: well at the same time though um the what i keep telling people who keep saying that this is a bluff is um i really think putin is going to go in because i think he thinks you know what i can i can really run the tables with the west because they're led by fools and why don't i beat my chest and at least go into eastern ukraine now there's a there's a theory that he's going to go. I mean, I saw uh, Sullivan, the national security advisor, overrated. Uh, I saw him, uh, you know, giving a press conference over the weekend about how they're going the Russians are going to go all the way into Kiev. I don't think they want to go all the way into Kiev. I think the objective has always been to turn uh, uh, Ukraine to Finlandize it, which is basically what what Russia did uh, in the 20th century during the Cold War, wherein they let Finland be independent technically. But Finland's foreign policy basically had to be run by Moscow so as not to run afoul of Moscow and risk an invasion. And so really, Finland in the Cold War was sort of this weird, neutral, uh, quasi-client state of the Soviet Union where their internal affairs were left alone by the Soviets so long as the the Finns didn't try to get too close to the West. Now, we had a similar arrangement with Russia uh, over Ukraine in the Minsk II agreement, which was signed by the former Obama administration, the former Petro Poroshenko leadership of Ukraine, uh, and uh, Vladimir Putin, which basically would have seen uh, Ukraine become this sort of neutralized territory where the Russians would have influence, obviously, over Crimea, the land they took in 2014, as well as uh, there would be a stand-down of all sides in eastern Ukraine uh, with sort of this this approach where eastern Ukraine, the pro-Russian side, would be given a degree of, of autonomy by kiev and the rest of ukraine the western side the pro-american pro-european side run by kiev would be basically uh, left alone and they would be allowed to be pro-western and whatever um and that was the agreement signed in 2015 that nobody really respected but now with what's going on whether putin goes in or not i think that's his ultimate objective not necessarily to take over the whole country but to take over or at least to have influence over that eastern portion uh, where he can claim that as a victory at home as well as get the mineral and oil and natural gas wealth there and the agricultural capabilities or capacity there, because that's what's important to Putin uh, from the economic and, and sort of trading standpoint. Everything else he can negotiate. But all that matters right now is that Putin is looking like he's driving this thing, and it's really going to be up to him as to whether or not he's going to pull the trigger, it has nothing to do with what the West is doing. If anything, everything Biden has done has signaled pure and unadulterated weakness. Not even Neville Chamberlain was this weak in the face of Nazi aggression. Not that the Russians are the Nazis, but there you are.
1: <clears throat> you know, it just dawns on me as you're doing this and the Finland uh, statement itself and the idea of the eastern city kind of being carved up uh, to uh, to Russia... You know, it's it, we 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 did. We've talked about uh, first strike capability. We've talked about uh, is, is is nuclear war again on the horizon? Uh, a couple weeks ago, you and I did right. all these Cold War terms like Finlandization. All these Cold War terms are right. coming back now. The idea right. that we're going to divide a city like we did Berlin, the way we're doing with Kiev, um, right. all of well, this is coming back. Pardon. It'd
2: be a whole re- it'd be a whole region in this case. In, in this Ukraine. case, yes, yes, right
1: it just seems all these all these all it's as yeah. if we've learned nothing but somehow russia has learned or the people you know the leadership of russia has learned everything and yeah. it it's hard to say even if putin even if putin were to go home tomorrow bring his troops home tomorrow in some respects maybe in the decisive respects brandon He's achieved a victory. You outlined a list of concessions he's already gotten. He has made America pull their hair out.
2: Right, right. And I think it's important to note that we wouldn't have been, and you and I have talked about this before, and I've written articles at the Asia Times about this before, we wouldn't be in this position if Bill Clinton, as president, did not force the Ukrainians to give up those 300 Soviet-era nuclear weapons that they were basically gifted by the Soviets when the Reds pulled out in 1992 and 1993. Um, and then also, we wouldn't be in this position had Washington, from Clinton through to Obama, just respected the agreements that we had crafted with both the former Soviet regime as well as the Yeltsin regime, uh, that followed the pro-American Yeltsin regime in Russia, wherein basically, um, basically the, um, the, the Russians, uh, let Ukraine become an independent country, a democracy no less. Uh, So long as Ukraine would be left as a neutral state, which is what the Russians want right now with the Minsk II agreement, and if they do go in, that's what they're seeking, is to basically neutralize Ukraine as a potential uh, uh, base for NATO. Now, you and I may not like that, you and I may think that's wrong, but at the end of the day, we're still back to where we were in 1994, only now America looks really bad. And really weak and so if we were always going to be in this position i don't know why we just didn't follow the agreements that we had crafted with russia and avoided the headache to begin with because now we're diverting all these resources all this manpower away from the real fight with with china uh and now going into ukraine which let's let's be honest is kind of a sideshow because the europeans are some of the wealthiest countries in the world they've been part of nato many of these countries for decades You mean to tell me they're completely incapable of defending themselves without always needing America to come rushing in? There's something wrong here, especially when you have China now, the second largest economy and growing, on the horizon, doing God knows what behind the scenes. That's the real threat to American interests, not Europe. The Europeans had better start figuring out how to stand up for democracy and freedom without always calling Uncle Sam, because we cannot, we're stretched too far. We can't do it all. And it's showing, and this is what Putin's showing the world. And God help us all, because this is how our world war started.
1: Yeah, right. Uh, and I'm and I'm beginning to wonder if, yeah, when you say Jer- uh, Europe needs to figure this out, or our European allies need to figure this out, um, do our does our U.S. leadership need to figure this out? I mean, it
2: doesn't. It, it, Not with Biden in
1: charge. Well, that's guys, what I'm wondering. What signals have out. we been sending? Have you know we said to Germany, is. "You better step up"? No. You know,
2: You know, did you see that that um, that press conference with uh, Olaf Scholz, the new German chancellor at the White House last week? I was was out. I'm sorry. No, it it was the single greatest embarrassing embarrassment an ally could have done. Basically, there's Biden saying, don't worry. Germany's going to cut off Nord Stream 2. We can cut it off. The pipeline... Oh, yes, yes, I read that. Ra- yes. Okay, yes, I'm glad you yes. raised
1: that. You reminded me. I wanted to ask you about that. Let me take the quick commercial yeah. break. Let's pick up on that when we come back. I did want to ask you about that. Biden's saying we have all these tools um, and people will be surprised by them. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Brandon J. Weichert. He's also happy to take your calls. Our number is 602 I just love this... Highly educated man uses it to uh, educate us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Seth Liebson Show. Brandon J. Weikert of The Weikert Report is our guest at com, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T is how he uh, spells his name. Uh, Brandon, uh, right before the break, you were talking about uh, Joe Biden in a press conference last week talking about Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Being on the table, uh, right. uh, well, be, be being being taken off the table, I suppose. Right. Uh, if 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 Russia does indeed invade Ukraine, people ask Joe Biden how to how he would do it. He said, "Trust me, we can do it." Uh, yeah, go into that for me, if you will.
2: Yeah. So basically, there's Biden burbling about the place during the press conference, and every time he brought up a decisive action that would have required German, you know, approval and assistance, uh, basically, Schultz would get quiet or he would look away or he would, he would hedge in his answers clearly not on the same page. In fact, as I had mentioned, I was, I was interviewed by the, the, oh geez, I was interviewed by the daily express. And then the next day by the sun, the U S sun, which are two British publications. Um, and they were asking me about my take on that event. And had told those two writers that, you know, basically, um, That was not Germany coming to the White House to sort of form a united front against a possible Russian invasion. That was the Germans coming to the White House to kind of just do the right things and take a photo with the current president to honor the previous relationship between Germany and America while they were pivoting away and going directly into Russia's waiting arms. Because let's face it, Germany and Russia now are simpatico, Whereas America and Germany are not, we are now the distant power. They, they don't want us. They think that we are chaotic. They think that we are going to invite a war on their backyard, which they don't want. And now we're threatening uh, German economic growth, as well as the really the safety of their country, which relies on this Russian natural gas uh, pipe, these, these natural gas pipelines from German, from Russia to Germany. Uh, to give them, uh, you know, easy, cheap, affordable, easy, accessible uh, energy during these very hard winters. So the Germans are not on the same page with us. The French are not on the same page with us. And it was that humiliating show of Macron flying over to, uh, to Putin sitting at that ridiculously long white yes, table. Yes, I saw that too, yes. The white being the color of surrender, perchance, uh, uh, with Putin apparently making some very crude reference to... Uh, a rape while in his his opening remarks uh, telling Macron that he will have to just lie back and take it, uh, which was some paraphrase of what he said referring to a famous Russian heavy metal song. The the message being, there's nothing the West can do to stop me, so you might as well just take what I give you because I'm not going to stop until I get what I want. Uh, And of course, Macron did. Macron took the crumbs that Putin gave him happily while thumbing his nose at Biden. And then the Italians at the same time, the Italians want nothing to do with this they want to do business increase their access to russian markets so they're trying to figure out how to you know backstab the NATO alliance and then there's hungary as well which at times i think is a very interesting country they have a very good domestic political system i think i I don't think it's fair the way they're treated by the eu Uh, but at the same time they did something that really undermined quote-unquote european solidarity with america over the russian threats to Ukraine. They turned around and did this 10-year gas deal for pennies from Russia at a time when the rest of the Europeans were trying, including Germany to a point, were trying to slow down the dependence on uh, Russian natural gas, at least until the Ukraine crisis was over. So what I'm getting at here is we were told at the end of the Cold War that history had ended, and it was all going to be postmodern, you know, neoliberalism, that would save us. It would all be technocratic solutions. There would be no more fighting, especially in Europe, because they had gotten over history. Well, instead, it looks like all of the old patterns of, of history that once dominated the entirety of European history, uh, in, you know, balance of power politics, uh, the backstabbing, all of that, that is all coming back in full force. The, the cockpit of Europe is now being fought over. Uh, the way it was before the World Wars, the way it was during the Cold War, the way it was during the Napoleonic Wars, et cetera. So America is not used to this, and we have a leader in Joe Biden and the Democratic Party and many Republicans in Congress who clearly do not understand real politics and great power politics and how to operate in that environment. And that is why America is losing this thing, and that is why Russia is relishing this, And they're not going to stop until they've broken our position, at least in Ukraine and probably in the wider part of Europe.
1: So many questions emanate from what you just said. Let me start with this one, Brandon. Um, Is there a sense – do you have a sense uh, that – Some of our long-term considered allies, you mentioned a few, Hungary, Germany, Italy. We could throw in, uh, I suppose, uh, Poland, all of them really in Europe at this point, France. Are they making calculations that it's a safer bet to align with Putin than the United States?
2: Well, the Poles do not want it. So there's a divide within the Europeans because the Eastern European, former Soviet states, led by Poland, are saying, keep Russia out. We know what happens. We know how the story ends. Yeah. The Germans and the French and the Italians and some of those Western and Southern European states are going, hey, we like the Russians. They give us gas. We do business with them. We have trade. And we don't want to be frontline states in a new Cold War the way we were in the last one. So we don't want to take part in it. And then you've got the U.K., Canada, and the U.S., the sort of Atlanticist powers just over the horizon who aren't in that everyday hustle and bustle in in Europe. And so they're sort of like, we don't want to see our position eroded just because of sheer geopolitics. So we're going to help the Eastern Europeans, but they're stymied by the Western and Southern Europeans who want to keep trying to do deals with the Russians. We have a problem, though, because you mentioned earlier mixed signals. Yeah. Joe Biden, at the same time, he's talking about you know, standing up to Russia, and we're going to flood the zone with troops no matter what, and it was going to be us holding the line. Those troops that we sent in to go to Ukraine, to go to Poland, those troops are not there to stop a Russian invasion. They are there to assist in the evacuation of American citizens from Ukraine to other safer parts of Europe and beyond. Which is not being widely reported i know for a fact this is i have contacts in the state department i have contacts in the dod i know exactly what's going on right now those forces are not being flooded in to sort of poison pill ukraine to stop it from being invaded to make it a harder target to swallow by the russian military most of those forces that are being deployed are there to assist and guide and guard any potential u.s uh, personnel evacuating from Ukraine before the hammer drops, if it does at all.
1: By the way, is the moving of our embassy a signal to Putin that we're, you know, Absolutely. we're cowering to his. Uh, yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. yeah. And at the same time, I want to make it clear. Um, I, I think that because of the decisions of the last 30 years, with the exception of Donald Trump, who actually had the Russians on guard, right. despite what they said, who actually kept the Russians back. Uh, with the exception of Trump, from about H.W. Bush all the way to Biden, minus Trump, every American president has set up this condition where the Americans were always going to lose Ukraine, yeah. and we're always going to agitate the Russians against us. If we had had a different policy, like I said earlier, one in which we just respected the agreements that we had entered into with both the former Soviet Union as well as the Russian Federation, we probably could have avoided this heartache. We're at the same place where we would have been anyway, a possible Finlandization of Ukraine, except now we look really bad. The world's looking at us going, America's really a spent force. She's on her way out. Look at Biden. Look at what he's doing. He's a disaster. We're going to make new deals with the Russians and Chinese who are the real powers, let's face it. This is a terrible position to be in.
1: I hate that it had to be exposed like this. Let's pick up on that when we come back. We have a few callers for you as well, Brandon. Anyone else want to get in on the conversation, you are welcome to. We will go to call shortly, 602 508 We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Seth Liebson Show, six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Brandon Weikert is our guest publisher of The Weikert Report, theweikertreport.com, author of Winning Space. Before I pursue a few more things with you, Brandon, let me uh, take a quick call with you if I can. Yep. You, thank you. Brent, Benjamin in Phoenix, you're on the line with uh, Brandon Weikert. Benjamin, go right ahead, sir.
3: Thank you. Hey, uh, I, what I wanted to address is, especially, Brandon, you're you're talking. I know you're uh, heavily into foreign policy and you write about it and so forth, and you say you have contacts and the State Department and, and whatnot. But I'm not saying I'm there, but there's many of us that believe that many of these things are all a big show. And what I mean by that is you're talking as though, you know, Biden has a strategy or he doesn't have a strategy or he's inept and that, you know, Putin is – Getting concessions, as you mentioned, Seth, and so forth, and but what, what, what about the idea? Dismissing the idea that that it's that the foreign policy, whatever relates to COVID, where all, the whole world seemingly at once, all the world leaders said we're going to do it this way, uh, all you know, made with few exceptions, they all did it one way. So when we hear these different things about a war or you know these potential policies, it seems to me that you're discounting the fact that it could be the, the professional wrestling aspect of it, meaning that sure. that. That, you know, when you talk like, for example, my grandmother, when I was a kid, a teenager, I remember she had no idea, she was a little old lady, and she really thought professional wrestling was real. I remember her watching and saying, oh, I don't like that fellow. So your point, you
1: know, Benjamin, is that this is for show?
3: Well, that, what if they're all not together? Meaning, and the last analogy is that, would say, oh, the macho man, he has this strategy and he's he's corrupt, but Hulk Hogan's a good guy and whatever. In reality, they were just working for the same company. And uh, you're discounting the fact that, I mean, that many of these leaders can be just putting on a show for us. And and that they have in what their, sense, their, though,
1: Benjamin? What's the show? I'm still missing it. What's the show?
3: That uh, that they have our best interest in mind. That, you know, they're just picking a strategy and they're telling us
1: here. Well, we I mean, are that, operating, yeah. I'll let Brendan answer it anyway. I'm operating on the assumption that world leaders have their country's best interests at heart. That's what right. I'm wondering. That's what I'm operating under that theory of. Um, but you know, we debate over what that word best means, but I'll let Brandon take the question any way he wants.
2: well, in terms of posturing, i think I think your caller is on to something. I don't think it um, I don't think they're operating for one you know that these politicians are all working for the same boss. I do think that there are things that are happening that are giving advantage to certain private companies or certain defense contractors and that that may be sort of, you know, what you're referencing. But in terms of posturing, I think it, I think you're very right to say that a lot of what we've been doing, particularly Biden's team, has been just a big show. And the problem is that the show has no substance. Usually you have sort of this public diplomacy paired with a real hard-hitting strategy for achieving or defending whatever your, your goal or interests are. But in Biden's case, we have a very clear example of, as I said, mixed signals being sent out on a daily basis where on the one hand, his people are saying they're going to invade. the Russians are going to invade next week. And we got to pull everybody out. And on the other hand, they're going Germany and France and, and NATO allies had better stand up with us because we're ready to attack NATO. Well that's mixed signals because you know we're fleeing and yet we're saying we're going to stand and it's very confusing. And all of this is for show and the show is trying to protect Biden, from looking like another Kabul catastrophe, where we had planes full of civilians, people falling from the planes, clinging on for dear life because it was all hands on deck trying to flee, because it was a haphazard retreat. So what they're doing in the Biden team is they're trying to send a signal that we've got this covered, when in fact they don't. They don't have any control over this situation, and every time they pull out prematurely, they end up losing more control. And again, I'm not really faulting them for pulling out in this case, because I actually don't think Ukraine is worth fighting for right now because the Russians have so badly checkmated us for the last 14 years or seven years at least, but probably going back decades. But in terms of the show aspect, I think you're right. There is a lot of posturing going on, and uh, frankly, we don't look very good. And power is perception in politics, and the perception is that America really is a spent force and that's a bad perception to have about us
1: out there. Yeah, let me let me pick on that pick up on that when we come back to break. Thanks thanks for addressing that. As we head to break, let me put in a word for one of our newest sponsors, the Midas Gold Group. Think about it, the people who are managing uh your dollar are the same people managing this immigration policy, border COVID, uh, their reckless spending and dollar printing is likely to end in financial chaos that threatens both your savings and traditional investments. So, just as their effort in management of other problems is looking like a spent force, you want to protect yourself when it comes to your money and your assets with Midas Gold Group. The experts at Midas understand how gold and silver can add profitability, protection, and privacy. To your finances. You won't get pushy salespeople at Midas. They're all veteran known. They can help you make an informed decision about precious metals and how they might make it into your portfolio. Give them a call at 480 360 3000. The Midas Gold Group, 480 360 3000, or MidasGoldGroup.com. Welcome back to the Seth Lipsen Show. Brandon J. Weikert has been our guest as he is every Monday, generously giving us a little of his time and brain. Uh, Brandon, in the in the in the Ukraine uh, Russia um, contrata or whatever you want to call it, controversy uh, crisis, we hear Putin, we hear about Biden, we don't hear a lot about. The president of Ukraine, uh, Vladimir Volodymyr Zelensky, uh, he today, I guess, did some announcement uh, to his people about predicting an invasion in a couple of days or the invasion to begin in a couple of days. There seems to be dispute about whether he meant it or not. I can't imagine how he wouldn't, but whatever. Is he is he the right man in the right place? Is this a strong leader? Is there strong leadership in the Ukraine or in Ukraine? Ukraine
2: is Ukraine's a basket case. Okay. Nothing good will come from this. Um Ukraine is is considered the most corrupt, kleptocratic country in Europe. Um, I am just very, very pessimistic about um, Ukraine as a viable member of NATO or even the EU. Um, They just have a lot of problems they have to overcome, irrespective of whatever the Russians are doing in eastern Ukraine. Uh, Zelensky's not a bad guy, but this is a guy who has used the power of his office to go after his political enemies as much as his predecessors have. Uh, You know, it's a a corrupt place, Ukraine. And um, I don't want to see them taken over. My heart goes out to them. I do think they're trying their best at democracy, and we should continue to applaud them for it. But it's just—it's a messy country, and I don't—and this really— as I talked about with you a couple of weeks ago, this really is a, a Russian-Ukrainian blood feud. It's a family matter, and we just need to stay out of it and reinforce the actual Eastern European NATO members. And let the Ukraine, because it's, Zelensky's, first of all, Zelensky said last week he was going off on Biden when Biden said it looks like the Russians are going to be invading him the next week. Zelensky's saying, no, that's wrong, you're wrong. And then he turns around today saying, what we all know is that the Russians are prepared. They've now moved their their most elite unit is a frontline unit. I'm forgetting the name of it. It's the 8th Battalion or something. And it's their, it is their unit that is designed for punching through enemy lines at the outset of any attack. This unit is now directly faced off against Ukrainian forces on the other side of the border. They're ready to go in. That is a signal, an indicator, that Russia, yes, is going to invade, I believe so, because it's too tempting of a target for them not to. And Zelensky was lying last week saying it's not going to happen because he's doing his level best to keep the allies on board and to keep his economy from collapsing due to panic. But too late, Putin got what he wanted. It's, it's all but a fait accompli now. Whether or not Putin pulls the trigger or not, it's all on Putin. And this is what Putin wants. He wants that control escalation. And this is a very bad position to be in because now America, Ukraine, Europe, we all look like fools. And
1: this is the point, Brandon. You were talking about one of the major uh, fallouts from this, or one of the major problems with this, is that we're taking our eye off really big balls here, or resources off the really big yep. uh, balls that uh, that 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 emanate out of the problem with the the the, 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 the relationship with China. Yep. And I'm just wondering if, in all of this, the way we're talking about Europe right now. And the way Europe seems to be thinking about the United States right now, whether we just may have almost all the incentive we need to, painful as it sounds, um, stop thinking about as Europe uh, of Europe as much as we do and, and right. do a refocus towards Asia. Right. And, this you know, we've had the these thoughts before. There have been these talks about, you know, right. reassessing. And, but
2: every time we keep getting sucked back in. Yeah. Yeah. Y- Conveniently. Yeah. Yeah, all, all I will say is, look, we have real allies in Eastern Europe led by Poland. My my colleague, Dr. Jacek Portoziak, is in D.C. right now uh, pushing his new army model concept for Poland. It's it's an excellent idea of where they need to go. We should be giving our full-throated support behind Poland and those NATO Eastern European members. But everything else, uh-uh. And we should probably look at Finland and Sweden, because now they want to join NATO, that's probably what should happen next. Forget about Ukraine. That's lost. Finland and Sweden are actually dynamic economies with with capable militaries. They will not let the Russians through. And so, you know, we can seal up the rest of Europe. We're not really losing anything with Ukraine. Uh, and then what we do is we we tell the Germans and the French, "Tag, you're it. You figure with poles what you're going to do with Europe." Because darn it. We've got a much bigger fish to fry in China. We've got a lot more economic and trade interests in, in Asia. We're not going to let China run roughshod. One other thing, very telling, particularly with Germany and France, but specifically Germany, that German emerald who was fired for having done this, who went to India a few weeks ago and was caught on tape as explaining to his Indian colleagues about how the German foreign policy elite really don't view Russia as a threat but as an ally in the great fight against China. Well, the French view it the same way. I suspect the Italians do as well. And so we have a problem here because we're, if for some reason, picking fights with nuclear-armed Russia over sideshow Ukraine, whereas our two biggest allies on the continent, France and Germany, view Russia as an essential bulwark against Chinese power from rolling into Europe. And so we better figure out how we're going to do the, handle the Russian problem, if it's a problem, or if we can just figure out how to play nice long enough to let Germany and France, you know, ameliorate or, you know, coddle Russia so that maybe we can get them to use Moscow as a blockade against Chinese power from going farther into Europe. I don't know if that's possible right now, but the bottom line is Russia, Ukraine, Europe, these are sideshows. We do have capable allies that want to stand up to Russian and Chinese power in Poland, in Sweden, in Finland. We should be building up those countries, the U.K. uh, You know, those countries should be built up. The Western and Southern Europeans, they are lost, and we cannot keep holding their hands. So we've got to let them go on their own and figure out what they're going to do while we refocus to China.
1: Did Germany make this statement to us already, and we weren't listening when it accepted Nord Stream 2 in the first place?
2: Absolutely. Okay. They did this. Remember, they did this in Iraq 2003. Um, now, whatever your opinion of that war, it was a disaster, ultimately. But the bottom line is, when we were going in in 2002... Germany aligned with France and Russia yep. to stop us yep. diplomatically yep. and economically yep. from going in. Yep,
1: yep, I do remember. I the do trans remember. The
2: transatlantic alliance has been broken since 2002. In fact, goes back to the 90s when the Germans were talking about breaking away. Joschka Fischer and them breaking away from unwanted American interference in Europe. The, the French calling us hyperpolicans, which is a putdown—a hyperpower, uh, a fantastic hyper power, power. Get us out of Europe because we're going to start a war. And so this goes back 30 years since the Cold War. It goes back longer with France going back to De Gaulle and the force to frap when he pulled uh, France out of NATO. Right. So our oldest allies on the continent have not really been that aligned with us. I
1: was just going to say we have to reevaluate and re- uh, the whole use of the word ally. I mean, you right. know, I'm, I'm fine. Finland, Sweden, uh, Hungary, Poland. gosh knows Poland. I right. love Poland, the United Kingdom. Absolutely. But, you know, maybe the rest of you guys, you've made your bet. Maybe right. you made your exactly.
3: bed. Exactly.
1: Let me get a concluding thought from you on the uh, other side of this break, if we yeah. can, Brandon Weikert. Thank sure. you. Thank you, sir. Uh, we will be right back with a concluding thought from Brandon Weikert. Um Then the great Williford Riley will be joining us at the top of the next hour. Let me put in a word for balance and nature. I take it every single day. You can too by going to balanceofnature.com. Make sure you use discount. Code Balance. It's made from fresh, whole produce, thoroughly cold, vacuum processed, thoroughly inspected for contaminants and metals and anything that might affect you negatively. It ain't there. 100% whole food, gluten free, non GMO. BalanceOfNature.com. Make sure to use discount code Balance. I take it every day and even more than once a day. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. You know, it's was just funny. I was just about to say, of all the other outlets, Brandon uh, writes for. You can also follow him on Twitter at We the Brandon. We the Brandon. <laughs> By the way, you you made a point I wanted to make earlier. I just didn't get to Brandon. Maybe conclude on this thought if you want. Interesting how the Ukraine coverage has covered up the sad truth about the Durham <laughs> report's finding about the extent and nature of Hillary Clinton's perfidy. Yeah, it's kind of a convenient uh, news story, yeah. isn't it? Uh, for that. Yeah.
2: Well, my closing thought is related to domestic politics as it relates to foreign policy. So the real question needs to be, for 30 years, the Democrats have made Ukraine a failed state. Whether it was Bill Clinton forcing them to give up their nukes, whether it was uh, Barack Obama, you know, basically encouraging them to try to join NATO and the EU, aggravating the Russians, and then abandoning Ukraine when the Russians had finally invaded Crimea, and setting up this horrible position that we now find ourselves in with Biden, where he's basically abandoning the whole country. Uh, The real question has to be, why on earth are Republicans in Congress voting along with Democrats to send all of this military equipment and aid into Ukraine? What Republicans should be doing now is playing domestic politics and saying, look, for 30 years you guys have run the Ukraine policy for the most part. Democrats have always been closer to Ukraine than we have been, and you have mucked it up. You have completely muddled and mucked up the water, muddied the water. And now here we are. So we are not going to do anything to put us in a position where Republicans are going to have to vote to support a world war to go to protect Ukraine. And we're going to put the onus on you. And we should link that to also Europe. If the Democrats were so fixated and crazed about Russia for this long and so wrong about what could happen in Ukraine, what else were they wrong about with Trump-Russia collusion, that they tore our country apart for four years They used completely corrupted, quote-unquote, intelligence gleaned by Clinton campaign operatives to try to smear Trump to prevent him from being an effective president, because it was clear he was going to beat her in 2016. So why are the Republicans doing anything to help make the Democrats look good on Russia or Ukraine right now? It's time for a little revenge, and it's time to protect the realm by protecting the party's reputation and that of Donald Trump's vis-a-vis the Russia collusion delusion and Ukraine, because Trump's Ukraine policy and his overall Russia policy was the only good policy we had toward those areas for like 30 years. And now he's gone and we're back to business as usual, which is horrible.
1: And we'll see a column in a few years from The Washington Post saying maybe (laughs) it's time to rethink our strategy with ukraine and russia brandon j weikert you are a solve thank you very much for everything i appreciate you sir thank
2: you you betcha
1: you You betcha i'm seth Liebsen. we'll be right back